it's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing- You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. Yeah, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're out. not even listening now. Okay, fine, I will listen, fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is and I'm not sleeping very well at all, and all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on, Ow. if you would just- Don't! Try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? So if you are married, or perhaps engaged, <laughs> and you get that, then you understand there's a whole lot of learning that goes on in relationships. If you are engaged or married and you didn't get that, you will. <laughs> Come grasshopper, sit at my feet. <laughs> I will tell you. And you know, it's interesting, in, in, in the over 30 years that I've been dealing with people and relationships, it is interesting to me that the people that I see who are developing healthy relationships, healthy families, are the people who sacrifice what it takes to find the opportunities to learn more about how to deal with relationships. And it's interesting to me that the people that struggle the most so often are the people who find reasons why they shouldn't go to those opportunities. And so I want to, to give you a, a swift kick in the spiritual place and, <laughs> and let you know that there's a, a collaboration of churches and businesses in this city who are interested in us building strong families. And so as part of that movement, uh, Kevin Lehman, who's been here before so very often uh, around our 4th of July time, is, is coming into town and, and sponsors have tried to put this together so that it's very cost effective for anybody. And so next Sunday evening and Monday evening, Sunday dealing with, with marriage, Monday with parenting, and then Monday morning uh, over at Grace Church, he'll be speaking uh, dealing with mother stress, and there'll be childcare there. All of that is in your in your uh, service folder. Check that out. You really do need to go. It's it's uh, I think it's twelve dollars a couple per night, and seven fifty for an individual. And so please, 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 please take advantage of that. You say, well, we hear him every year. Well, you get about 30 minutes of him, but we really never get a chance to really go in depth. And so he'll have an opportunity to do that next Sunday, next Monday. And so please, 
I'm encouraging you, take advantage of this. And in addition, we need some volunteers. Because we're providing child care Monday morning, just Monday morning at, at the Grace event, we need about 10 or 11 more volunteers who would go over and help take care of those kids, especially you that already have clearances. So if you could give us a couple of hours on Monday morning, just stop by the information desk, West Service Center, and just sign up and we'll contact you. And in addition to that, we need five volunteers for Sunday night and five volunteers for Monday night to just show up and say, I'm here to do whatever you need done. And it'll be down at the Bayfront Convention Center. And so we need your assistance. So stop by there and, and sign up if you will. But above all, please, please, please be involved. Okay? Smile at me. <laughs> Relationships are so important. And I want, I want to take a few moments this morning to talk to you about why that is so important. And so my question be, beginning all of this is this. What are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this, this, this power? We've been talking these last several weeks, starting with Easter, about resurrection power. What are we going to do with this power? It is so vitally important that we understand that, that, that there is this follower of Jesus who prays this prayer that has gone through the centuries after he wrote these words because it's so vitally important for us to understand what that resurrection power is supposed to be doing around us right now and in us and through us. And so he writes these words. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. Now, I'm going to stop right there and just ask, how many of you are believers in Jesus? Right, so this is for you. So he said, I want you to understand the power that is for you. And it's the same power. Now, understand this. It's the same power. It is the same power. It is the what? Same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So when I was growing up, I grew up in, my, my father was a pastor, was a pastor and my, my grandfather was a pastor, and I was raised in the Pentecostal church, and we had this phrase that people would use when somebody really gets this resurrection power thing happening in them, and we would say, they're really on fire for God. Nobody outside the church understood that, but we would say that. There, there is this other saying that is attributed to John Wesley, and we're really not sure John Wesley said this, but the saying's been around, and it's simply this. Set yourself on fire, and people will come from miles around to watch you burn. And I think the, the essence of that is this, that if the resurrection power that lifted Jesus from the grave and took him to the right hand of God is active in us, then it becomes very, very obvious. It really is evident. So, so what is that evidence? How does that show up? Well, being raised in the Pentecostal church, I saw a lot of, a lot of powerful things happening. I saw miracles take place, and I saw some weird things take place. I just got to be honest with you. I, I did see those things. And if you had said to us back then, what is the evidence of, of God's resurrection power? It'd be all the miracles that are going to take place. And, and those things are, are, are so important that they still take place. They're not done. Uh, scripture says, these signs shall follow them that believe. And, and Jesus would go around and say, the kingdom of God is here. How do we know that? Then he would heal somebody. They'd go, oh, wow, God's kingdom is here. But this morning, I, I want to propose to you that if we would track the entire movement 
of the Messiah, this promise that there would become becoming one who would break or take care of a broken world and, and put it back together again, this Messiah. If you, if, you move, if you watch the entire movement of the Messiah's coming, and especially how it culminates at a cross and an empty tomb, I really believe that resurrection brings us to one central focus, that the kingdom of God is the kingdom of right relationships. That's what the intention had been all along. And therefore, that has profound impact. That resurrection power has profound impact on this empty chair. This empty chair is that, is that relationship that you used to have, that person that you used to be best friends with, that, that person that was part of your group, that person who you had connection with, and then there was a fracture. There was a misunderstanding. There was a, a, a breakup. And that person no longer is part of your world, and that chair is empty. That's hard to admit. We, we, we don't really want to talk about, yeah, well, I've, I've been at odds with this person. We really don't want to talk about it. But I want, to, I want you to understand that even God, God made very clear that he even had relational issues. For he had created this wonderful oasis, this, this wonderful place for he and his first son to, to be together and they would walk through the, through the garden during the day and it would be this wonderful relationship created in his father's image. And then there was this, this moment, this fracture, this rebellion where the son just for whatever reason broke away and, and now he's not there anymore and there is this, this gaping hole in the garden, there is this empty chair. And everything else you read all the way through the scriptures is the story of God wanting to fill the chair again. It all comes back to how do we reconcile? Because relationships are not easy. They're hard. If they weren't difficult, then we wouldn't have a command. Jesus, what is the greatest command? Love God and love each other. I have a friend in Washington, D.C. that says, every day do one thing. Love God, love people, and the rest will come. Jesus said, they're going to know that you're my followers. They're going to know that you are like me if you have love one for another. But understand that doing this, doing this right relationship thing is so difficult that for it to work, it takes the very power that took a dead man and brought him back to life again and put him at the right hand of God. That very power is essential for us if we're going to be in right relationships. You say, well, great, resurrection power. So, so, then, so then that whole thing that just raises that up, so then you can just go lay hands on me, and, and then as you pray for me, then boom, the relationship's back together again. I wish the boom theory worked, but it doesn't work. That power comes to us to energize us for an attached pattern that comes with it. 
We are energized to work through this pattern to develop right relationships. It's a pattern that Jesus used and you see working on the cross. It's a pattern all the way through the the viewing of the Messiah. In fact, the, the king of Israel, the psalmist David, reveals that that pattern in Psalm 86 when he writes these words. You are a forgiving and good you are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and listen to my cry for mercy. So can we dissect that for a moment because there's a pattern in there? You are good. The word is, is, is the Hebrew word tob, T-O-W-B. And tob can be expressed in a lot of ways. And so let me just give you some of the ways that th- this word is used. It, it can mean favor. I give you my favor. I give you the best. I bring to you beauty. I bring to you kindness. I bring to you prosperity. I bring to you that which is pleasant. I give to you that which is sweet. I give you an abundance of wealth. That is the word tob. And the one who brings to us tob, he said, you are good, O Lord, Adonai. Now, Adonai is an important word because it is the word that means superior position. That there is no one higher than this one, Adonai, who is Lord. So when you say to the Lord, Lord, why is this happening in my life? Why do you allow this? His response can be, because I want it that way and there's nothing you can do about it. So understand that when we question his actions, understand that his intentions are always tobe, are always beauty, kindness, prosperity, pleasantness, sweetness, favor, wealth because it's what drives him, because it is who he is. So, let's go back. He has the power position. The atmosphere in which he works is tobe. And then the psalmist says, and the way that you express this is that you are abounding in love. That word abounding means that you have excess quantity. So much more. It's like eating at an Italian's house. Ever been? You that are Italian have been to an Italian house. I know you have. But the first time I came to Erie and they sent us, brought us over to somebody's house and they came out and they, and they fed me pasta and pasta and pasta and then they said, okay, now for the entree. I said, what? And then they kept trying to fill me up, fill me up, fill me up. Fill me. And so that's that whole thing. It's, it's excess quantity abounding in love, and the actual word there is abounding in mercy. You are abounding in mercy. So let me describe mercy to you. Mercy, if you go back down to to the root wording of mercy, is this. That there is someone who holds a superior position, who now moves from that position down to an inferior position for the purpose to coming to that one who could not come to the superior position to come and come to that person and 
invite them into their world of Tobe, the world of beauty and prosperity and kindness, and to share that with that person. I invite you into my world. You couldn't get there unless I came to you. Now catch this. For you, O Lord, are the one who lives in the world of Tob, and you came down to me, and you have excess Tob for me. You've shared it with me. That is your mercy. So, so watch what happened. Jesus resurrects. And as he resurrects, God takes him to the highest place, the highest lordship, the right hand of the Father. So he has a superior position. What happened to us? Here's what Paul says, Paul the Apostle. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Here's what happens. Because of his, his, his love and mercy, he comes to us, he lifts us up, and he takes us into his toe, which is in his Father's presence. And now understand, this is the important part, now understand the reason that God fills you with this mercy, fills your life with this toe, is so that he can pour it in you, and you can then do as Jesus did with his and share it with other people. That is the purpose. God wants us to use it for one purpose, and it's this, right relationships. In fact, that was the agreement long before you and I showed up. God came to a man named Abraham and said, I have this plan, and though you can't have a child, you're going to have a child, and from that child, they'll become a nation. From that nation will become one who we will call the Messiah, the anointed one, who is going to come to this earth. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen because I'm making a covenant agreement with you. I'm making a covenant agreement. The word covenant means to cut. And so if Scotty and I here were going to have a covenant agreement, we would say, okay, here's what we're going to do. And then we would go get an animal and we'd split it in half and put, put pieces on each side. And then Scotty and I would walk right through the middle of that. And in essence, what we're saying is if we don't keep this agreement, may what happened to that animal happen to us. So when you make a covenant, you better know that you're going to keep it. God said, I'm so intent on this happening that I won't even make this covenant with Abraham in the same manner. He will not walk with me. I walk by myself to declare to you that I swear by myself that this is going to happen. You are going to have a Messiah who will change your world. And he will come to you and he will stoop down to you and he will, he will prepare for you a world of right relationships. The Lord implemented the fix. The Lord paid for the fix. He bowed low to raise us up, proving this, that covenants trumps position. You say, oh, that's great. That's history. That's wonderful. Okay, now, here how, here's how it applies to us. If I betray you, if I offend you, if I violate your trust, I have now granted you the higher position because now I owe you. And you can hold me in that position as long as you want. 
A few years ago, my father, before he died, gave to me a ring that he'd had for years. He wanted me to have that. And the ring had several small diamonds in it. And so Pam knows things about jewelry, not only because he works at a place, but because Pam knows things about jewelry. And so she said, I'll take the diamonds out and we'll melt down the, the gold. And, and, and so she made me a ring that has some of the diamonds in it. So I remember my dad. So we said, we'll take the rest of the diamonds, hold them to the side and figure out what we're going to do later. Well, one day in conversation, just been passing, she said, oh, and by the way, I took the rest of those diamonds and I gave them to some folks who needed them that I thought would really be good because Pam's a gift giver. I said, you did what? You what? Yeah, I gave those to them people. <laughs> Oblivious to the pain that I just felt. Because those were my inheritance. Those, those were not financial inheritance, but emotional inheritance. I said, you know what you just did? You, you gave away. You didn't, those were mine. You didn't, have, you didn't have the right to take those. And I began to express to her how deeply I was hurt and how much it pained me. And to be honest with you, in that moment of deep pain, I said, you stole those from me. And it horrified her. She said, I am so sorry. Now, up to that point, we had been walking in a unity, in an intimacy, and at that moment, she took from me something that I thought belonged to me, and now I took the higher position. I had the power position, for she had offended me. She said, can you forgive me? I said, it just hurts so deep. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, 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 I don't know. I'm just being honest with you. I didn't want to give her just some surface answer that, and then my actions would, would, would prove otherwise. She said, I, I, I'll do anything to fix it. Well, that's the problem. You gave him away. You can't fix this. This is where covenant comes in. So let, let me give you a working definition of covenant that Jesus used, really, and that we should use. And it's simply this. Covenant is this, that if it matters to you, it matters to me. That's covenant. Pam wanted right relationship. I wanted back what I lost. I can hold her hostage. I can stop talking to her. I can let her feel my pain. I can isolate her. I can freeze her out. I can rehearse the offense over and 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 over again, how much you have hurt me, how much you have hurt me, how much you have hurt me, how much you have hurt me. I can decide I'll never trust her again. Or I can take the place that Jesus took called mercy. And mercy is moving from a power position in order to apply kindness and beauty. The psalmist earlier, what we read, the psalmist said, listen to my cry for mercy. And God responds to it. That kind of movement is called submission. 
Okay, so if you've been in the church for very long, you know one of the favorite passages of men is Ephesians 5. Women, submit to your husbands. All right, guys, you're going to hate me now. Because if you look through that Ephesians 5 passage, you're going to find that there are two sections, one about women submitting to men, and the next one is about men submitting to women. So it doesn't say that. No, 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 no. What you got to do is even harder than what they have to do. And for both of us, men and women, the heading above all of that, before that passage begins, Ephesians 5.21 says this, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what I had to do is I had to, to understand that Pam's need, what she needed from me, was right relationship, reconnection. What I wanted was to be paid back. And therefore, I had to submit my need to be paid back to her need for right, right relationship. And I had to let go of what I had to grab hold of what she needed. Does that make sense? You say, well, wait, 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 wait. I don't know if I can do that. Well, yeah, you can because the power that lifted Christ from the grave is in you with the ability to accomplish that. You can do that. Yeah, but you don't know what I lost. Seriously, what did you lose? What did you lose that is detrimental to God's plan for your future? That if God is in this very moment coming to you in mercy and he is submitting himself to your needs and he's bringing Tob with him and he's going to pour out Tob to you, what is it that any man or woman can take from you that God's going to go, oh, I'm all out of that? You think God's going to say, well, I, I can't fill that? You're, gonna you're just going to be void of that from now on. No, he's going to pour into you everything you need. And if someone wants to take it, he'll just pour more in. And in addition, whatever you think you lost, so often when you're in that submitted role, he'll give you back more and better than you had before. Because here's what happened to Jesus, case in point. He gave away a human life. He gave it away, and as a result of that, what he got in return was an entire universe reconciled back to him. Now, there's a trade. That whole process is called forgiving. And forgiving is a mindset as much as it is an action. See Jesus on the cross? While they are harassing him and condemning him, He's saying, Father, what? Forgive them. He's already in the mindset. Paul the Apostle wrote that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He describes that in Romans 5 where he says, For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You say, but I, 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 don't, I don't feel like forgiving. Well, folks, forgiveness is not a feeling. It is an act. You say, okay, well, if it's an act, how do I know that I have forgiven? You're going to know that you've forgiven when this happens. Forgiveness removes all IOUs. So up to this point, you owe me money. Up to this point, you owe me the 30 years I wasted on you. Up to this point, you, you, you owe me my reputation back. You owe me an apology. You owe me at least 
the decency to admit that you were wrong and I was right. Oh, that's a big one. All of that is wiped off the table. You say, yeah, but then I can't heal. Oh, wait a minute. Your healing does not depend on their response. Your healing is the fact, according to the scripture, that we are reconciled to Jesus through the death of, or to God through the death of his son, how much more being reconciled shall we be saved through his life, that that resurrection power is flowing through us and healing us without anybody else's response to us. We're being healed. And we have the power to do this right now. So I, I once thought that, that I had forgiven somebody, but the problem was that every time I saw this person, the pain just kind of came back up again. And it just, it just, I couldn't figure out, because I, I kept saying, I've forgiven, I've forgiven, I, because I'm a pastor and I have to forgive because that's, that's part of my job description. But it just, it still hurt. And one day, I was reading this book called The Bait of Satan. If you've never read this book, read it. And so John Bevere quotes this scripture from the book of Romans. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I'll pay them back, says the Lord. And then Bevere writes these words. It is unrighteous for us as children of God to avenge ourselves, but that is exactly what we are seeking when we refuse to forgive. We desire to seek, plan, and carry out revenge. We will not forgive until the debt is paid in full, and only we can determine the acceptable compensation when we seek to correct the wrong done to us. We set up ourselves as judges. Oh, I hate that book. <laughs> and so here's what happened. I read that, and immediately I felt like God said to me inside, you have an IOU. I said, what is it? You want that person to come back to you and tell you they were wrong. In fact, you would like that person to tell everybody else who said you were wrong that they were wrong. And so at that moment, I said, all right, God. And so I said, I don't have to have that anymore. And it's amazing to me that when I did that, in a short amount of time, I was no longer tied to that pain. It was not reoccurring any longer. You say, but you can't, but they're going to get away with it. Do you really believe that God is going to let any sin go unchallenged? You say, okay, God, go after him. Take that revenge. And, 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 and you want to be biblical, so you go to the Psalms and you start reading the psalmist's words. Lord, knock out his teeth. <laughs> let them fall in a trap. And you find all those good psalmist angry words. It's biblical. And then God says to me, when I feel that way, he says, but just remember this. The measure you use for judgment against another is the measure you want me to use with you. Okay, I'm keeping my teeth. And what I recognize at that moment is this, that what I have done is not forgiven. I have just found a bigger hammer to hit the person with. God, smack them, rip them up. Tear them apart. And what has happened is the seed of unforgiveness has gone deeper. And when it goes deep enough, it becomes this thing called bitterness. And Francis Frangipane says it so well when he says, bitterness is unfulfilled revenge. And you know what revenge is? 
Revenge is me drinking poison in hopes that you die. I'm the one who will die. So you want to be healthy? Then I, I think if we want to be healthy, we need to take the counsel from that, that deep theological documentary called Frozen. <laughs> let it go. Let it go, let it go. So how do I do this? Connection so often begins before correction. So in your life, there's an empty chair. But you say, but, but it's their fault. They need to come to me first. Yeah, but, but you have the power that raised Christ from the dead so that you can go first. So, so why don't we? Because Jesus did. Jesus came to a world that hated him, that would crucify him. And what does he do? He hangs around with them in their really, really sinful condition and gives them tobe. He prospers them. He heals them. He gives them peace. He gives them food. He, he does all of that. And as he's doing that, notice what happens. They go, this is really cool. I really like what I'm feeling here. What do I need to do? And Jesus says, well, you need to start with your sin. But notice how Jesus does this. Jesus starts in love. He leads with mercy, and then he tells them the facts. We do the opposite. We start with the facts. You scoundrel. You know what you did to me. You know the pain you caused me, and we rip into somebody so that they plead for mercy, and then we say, well, I might give you a little love. We have to lead with love and mercy. That's why Jesus said, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you. You want forgiveness? He said, you've got to give forgiveness. So how do I move toward forgiveness? Can I give you some steps? Number one, I've got to admit that I'm hurt. You know, we, we don't want to do that because we, we want to be the strong person. We want to say, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Just, I'm just a little, I'm just, I'm not upset. And, and even as couples, we do that. You okay? You don't seem okay. I'm okay. You don't, are you mad? No, I'm not mad. Well, then why haven't you served me my meal yet? Because it's just, it's over on the counter. Get it yourself. It's just, <laughs> there, you know something. So admit, admit, admit that you're hurt. And admit it to God. Say, God, I'm, you know what she did? You know what she did. And you know what I think I lost. And you spend enough time with God, he'll say, you didn't lose a thing. Because I'm going to show you how you're going to get what you need. Yeah, but, but they're going to get away with it. No. God says, no, no, I'll take care of this. Because remember, how you feel about them is how somebody felt about you, and I gave you mercy. So admit that I'm hurt. Number two, Lord, I forgive them. I forgive her. I forgive him. Release that one from everything they have done. Sometimes that's tough to do. Release them, but understand that, that God said, you owed me greater debts and I forgave you so you can do the, you can do the same thing. And then you say, but, but, but I've done that and I still feel the pain. You know, forgiveness is like ringing a bell with a rope on it. Eventually you forgive, you let go of the rope, but what does the bell do? It still swings a little. But if you keep saying it, it and the pain comes, no, I forgave, I forgave, I forgave, no IOUs, eventually the pain stops and you move on. 
And I got to tell you, this progressively gets more difficult. Number three, Jesus said this, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Seriously, pray for their good? And that's really tough. Because you're here hurting and you're thinking, why should I pray that they get blessed? Because here's what happens. At this moment, because God is a merciful God, he is, he is taking his superior position and, and vacating it and going to the very person that you're thinking about because he wants to give them mercy also. And he's bending down to them saying, I'm going to give you Tob. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, he said, I want you to do my acts. And one of my acts is this, that you act like me. So you come here and you get in line with me and you give this person Tob. In fact, you're going to be my instrument of Tob. And I hate that. He says, you're going to give that Tob. You're going to give that blessing. You're going to give that, that kindness. You're going to do that. You feel like, oh, man, that's just so tough. Well, let me tell you what happens. There is this, this, this thing, and it's happened in the area before. It's called a color run. You ever seen the color run? It's, it's, it's really not a, a fast race generally. It's like a 5K, and, and there's like three or four stations, and you, you, you go through it, and they have this cornmeal that's, that's, that's dyed different colors, and you run through, and they throw it all over you, so you wear white and a mask and, and cover your eyes, and, and so everybody gets covered with color, and, and that's a fun thing. It's what you've always wanted to do. The thing your parents told you never do, you get to do. Do you think that the people who are throwing out the color walk away untainted? Do you think they walk away and they're not covered by that color? When we come to blessing others and praying for them and, and giving them the tobe of God, what happens is we start getting covered by the same thing. So what happens is this. When you start praying for somebody, oh God, bring them beauty back in their life, what happens is you start getting covered with beauty and you begin to forget you're ugly. The ugly part of you starts to leave. When you start praying, Lord, give them prosperity, what happens is you get covered with prosperity and you no longer have a loss. When you start praying favor, you begin to discover that you get so much favor that the hatred has gone. Number four, now find safe times and places to reconnect in a relationship. And I mean safe times. Let's be practical about this. But understand that a friendly bridge is easier to cross than a cold wall. So you start the connection. And, and, and understand that, that when you begin to reconcile that forgiveness will, will disconnect the debt and open up a path, but trust is not necessarily completely restored at the moment. There are a lot of researchers tell you that if you've had an infidelity in your marriage, it takes three to five years for trust to be really reestablished because it just does take time. If, if, if Scotty and I are with a group of people down at Presque Isle and it's like 80 degrees and we got shorts on and suddenly Scotty says, hey, I want to go jump in the water. And he, so he says, here, hold my wallet. So I hold his wallet. And while he's gone, I take 20 bucks because I need it. And later on at night, he looks, he goes, hey, my 20 bucks is missing. So he calls me, he said, you take my 20 bucks? Yeah. 
Well, I want it back. Well, I spent it at Sarah's. He may forgive me, and he may pray that, that, that I become a better man and that God will bless me. But next time we're at Presque Isle and we're at 80-degree weather and he's in shorts and he wants to go swimming, he'll turn to me with his wallet and go, no, and hand it over here because he has to help me reestablish trust. If it's not safe with that person, then move slowly. Move slowly. The other thing is that when, when you go to give forgiveness or be forgiven, that's on you. But it takes two to reconcile, and you never know how the other person's going to respond. They may either even come back to you in a harsh manner. You cannot dictate how they're going to respond to you, but you do what you know that Jesus, by his resurrection power, has given you the ability to do. He never guaranteed the result, but he told you this is the process you need to go through. And then after you've done what you're supposed to do, you rest in Jesus. Because you see, there's an empty chair. So who is it that's not around for the birthdays anymore because of the fracture? Who's not in your small group? Who's not hanging out with you at Coffee Culture anymore? Who's not on the team anymore? Who's, who's missing from, from those, those gatherings, from the church service? Who's missing from the holiday meals? Who should be in that chair? At many tables this holiday season, there will be an empty chair, a relationship broken, wrongs that have not been made right. And so this chair will be empty and this family The important question is, does it have to be empty this year? Jesus was criticized because he did not hesitate to break bread with broken people. He welcomed people to his table, not after they made it right or showed remorse. He sought communion as a first step toward reconciliation. It's not up to you alone if that empty chair will be filled pass without doing all you can to have everyone at your table. Go after the one lost sheep. Welcome the prodigal back. One meal may not fix everything, but the first sign of hope could be a chair that is no longer empty. Stand, please. So we have the power to reconcile. So how about, how about we take this power that raised Christ from the dead and we set ourselves on fire with the power to bring out right relationships? Because if we do that, people will come from miles around to watch us burn with that love. 
So you're going to leave in just a moment. And before you go, I've just got to ask you, what's your next step? Because we're so awesomely good at knowing we need to do something and saying, I'll deal with it later, because we know we won't. You want the resurrection power of Jesus to live through you, then you have to take care of what he, you know he needs you to do now. So my prayer for you is this. May you have the courage in these next hours to confront your empty chair. May you have the wisdom to speak the right words. May you find that as you pray blessings over them, that the things you thought you had lost because of them, you've gained because of Christ. And may you be set free, totally free. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, and be good to each other.